We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to a Wednesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It's Wednesday, April 5th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Perutha. Uh, full disclosure, we've already been recording for 20 minutes, but I did not hit record on StreamYard. So we're going to be kind of rehashing conversations that we've already had. Please bear with us on that. Uh, I take full responsibility for not hitting the record button. Nevertheless, Alex, uh, we, we, were, we just had this great conversation about the Western Conference play-in and, and what the Lakers should be doing tonight uh, <laughs> against the Clippers. So let's have that exact conversation over okay. again. Uh, we're we're kind of debating you know, what the, what the Lakers should do in their game tonight against the Clippers and uh, acknowledging also that by the time you're hearing this pod, that game may have already started or already ended. Uh, but I think they're in a very interesting spot as far as playing into overtime last night against the Jazz. Not necessarily the result you wanted. Still got the win. That's what matters. Uh, but how hard should they push to win this game against the Clippers? How much should they value you know, trying to do everything they can to stay out of the play-in versus you know, maybe building in that rest for, for LeBron James and Anthony Davis? And I guess in some ways, you know, being okay with taking your chances in a play-in scenario. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers have been kind of dodgy all day with the statuses of LeBron and AD coming off this overtime win over the Jazz, which they were just lazy uh, during the Jazz game. A lot of missed defensive rotations, a lot of flat-footedness. And they, I think they were just looking ahead to this Clippers game. Now you put yourself in a position where you can pretty much avoid the playing with a win here, uh, but you got LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis coming off basically 40-minute games. And so... I, I think they should push to win this game. I think they should play those guys as many minutes as possible or as many minutes as they need to, to get this Clippers game because if you fall into the play-in, anything can happen. Like you can, the other team can get hot. You can lose two in a row. Um, I think if you're the Lakers, you try to win this game now and get your rest later. I completely agree. I, I think, of course, in, in some ways, I think it matters 
what's going on behind the scenes as far as like, okay, is, is LeBron's foot really bothering him that much? Um, you know, did Anthony Davis turned his ankle the other night. Is it something where you actually feel like if these guys play, you know, there's a chance that that injury becomes something much worse. Uh, but if, if it's just purely maintenance, I, I'm with you. I, I think you have to do everything you can to avoid the play in tournament because, you know, for, for as, as improved as this Lakers team has been since the break, uh, I, I, I still don't necessarily think they're head and shoulders above a team like the Pelicans or, or even the Timberwolves or the Thunder who's given them trouble all year. I mean, Dallas could still sneak in. I, I still, I mean, Dallas has been a complete disaster. We'll get to that in a yeah. second. You don't want to face Luka and Kyrie in, in a potential one game loser goes home right. situation. So I, I think if you're the Lakers, you got you got to do everything you can to avoid the play-in because there's just so much variance there. I mean, who, Anthony Davis tweaks his ankle. Who knows? Uh, all of a sudden, those games become super dicey, and you could be on the outside looking in to the entire playoff picture. I also think it's going to be uh, interesting to see if we get any maneuvering. Uh, around that five seed in the West, which is currently occupied by the Golden State Warriors. Uh, they had a come from behind win last night without Clay Thompson against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, you know, for a while, like, I was c- catching myself thinking, like, do they even want to win this game? Do they want to set up a first round matchup with the Phoenix Suns? I wouldn't want to. I know, I know some people think, you know, Kevin Durant came back from his injury. They don't have, you know, they haven't had a ton of time to integrate him in. The first round is when the Suns are most vulnerable in theory because they haven't had as much of an ability to get into a rhythm. I That's just not how I think. Like That's just not how I view the Suns. I don't think you need a bunch of time to get Durant integrated into the team. I think he's just a monster on his own. I don't think the offense is, is clunky. Um, maybe at times it's a little predictable with their sets, but it doesn't matter if Kevin Durant's predictable. He just shoots over everybody. Um and I, I would absolutely try to avoid them in the first round because I, I still think they're the team to beat in the West. Yeah, and you know I think some have made the argument that okay, do you, do you want to play the Suns in round one? You know, the fewest possible games with Kevin Durant. I get that. At the same time, this team, whenever they have Kevin Durant, they've looked completely bulletproof. And no, it has not been like you know 2017 Warriors where you're like, okay, nobody could beat this team when they're healthy. I, I don't think they're on that level by any means, but. Uh, I, I think I'd almost rather play them later and assume that at some point Chris Paul and or Kevin Durant are going to be banged up. You know, I mean, it's happened literally almost every time Chris Paul's been in the playoffs by the time he gets to the West finals or even the NBA finals, you know, there's, there's always some sort of malady uh, that that tends to be limiting him. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's ever a good time to catch the Phoenix Suns, but uh, I, I would not be surprised if we see you know a little bit of jockeying by Golden State uh, over these next couple of games here, like, especially if it's the Clippers, you know, who, who beat the Lakers. Uh, on Wednesday night, uh, you know, they would essentially be tied with Golden State at that point, and it would be relatively easy for Golden State, you know, to to try to maneuver their way down the standings. However, you know, I think you could say the same thing about whoever wins this this Lakers Clippers game. But it's it's so interesting because you you want to avoid the play in, like we just said with the Lakers, but you also want to avoid the five seed. So like, there's there's a, a ton of maneuvering that yeah. has to go on to to try to get the six and match up with the Kings. Yeah, we're gonna have to. I mean, if you're in a if you're in a daily lineup moves fantasy league, oh, um, say goodbye to your to your life, I guess for the next few days, because um, it's you're if you're really trying to make a push for number one or or not be uh, in a loser bracket, it's going to be really tough to kind of. Hopefully, we get this kind of uh, news early when it comes through uh, regarding like who's going to sit and whatnot. But again, man, I just I can't I can't stress enough how much I would try to avoid the Suns. Like I just looked this up, the Suns with Durant, Booker, and Paul on the floor are plus 22 per 100 possessions. That's 
it's in the hundredth percentile. It's the best three man lineup basically in the entire NBA. Yeah, you don't want to play Kevin Durant. You just don't. And especially when he's surrounded by Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. So no, I, I don't I I am firmly on team. The Suns are to beat as long as they're healthy. I, I don't think I'm going to be moved off of that. I haven't seen really much from from Denver or Memphis or the Lakers to 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 really change my opinion on that. Uh the Clippers, by the way, after the Lakers game, they play Portland uh and then they play Phoenix. Uh, on Sunday, April 9th, the final day of the regular season. I would imagine we probably don't see a full Suns team at that point. I mean, they'll, they're will they right. pretty much already locked into the four, if not mathematically. Uh, but by Sunday, that'll for sure be the case. Yeah, according to basketball reference, the Suns are 99.8% the four seed. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, they, could, they could definitely rest down the stretch. Yeah, I guess they're only a game and a half up uh, on Golden State. So they'll probably win one more game and, and be fine there. Um, you know, I... OKC is sitting down at 10 right now. They are doing everything they can to keep the Dallas Mavericks season alive. I mean, Dallas <laughs> has been a complete disaster for the, I mean, they've had like three, like gut wrenching your seasons over losses in the last two weeks. And yet it's somehow not over at all. Uh, I mean, we, we got the report earlier this week that they were considering shutting down Kyrie and Luca, which I mean, that would be, I, I don't think it's going to happen. They're both probable for Wednesday, but that would have that to me would be borderline unprecedented. And you know, I know we, we we're only a few years into the play-in tournament, but a team that still very much has a chance to make at least the play-in, you know, basically just saying, now nah, we're out. We want to keep our, our draft pick. And it's not like we're talking about the number two overall pick. We're talking about the 10th pick here. Uh, I, I I thought you know that the fact that it got to the point where someone like Shams is reporting it means that it was real. And I, I was shocked that they let that get out. I agree. Um it's a complete disaster. For the Mavericks, I, you know, I think, I think a lot of people like, I, I haven't heard actually too much blame put on Kyrie Irving. And I think that's fair. I mean, he's had a couple weird quotes just because he's Kyrie, but I think it's more so about what they gave up to get Kyrie. They just yeah. lost so much of their defense. Like Dorian Finney Smith, one of those guys, you know, plus minus God. And you realize why after he's gone, it's like, they have no perimeter defense. The other night they get killed by Cody Zeller and, and Kevin Love because they don't have any rim protection. It's like, you can try to win these games outscoring everybody, but in the end, a lot of these games are like 131 to 125, but they're they're losses. And it probably makes the most sense to shut these guys down, because you're not going to do anything in the playoffs. You've shown absolutely nothing to suggest that you can make any noise in the playoffs, but that's a tough decision to make as an, as an organization after such a big trade especially as an organization that kind of has this obligation to continue putting a competitive product around Luka Doncic. I mean, that's just wild right. to me. I mean, like imagine, imagine like the Cavs doing that to LeBron early in his career, or, you know, I get, that would have just been completely obscene. And obviously they were never in that position, but yeah, it's also wild. You brought it up like Kyrie. Ky- I, I think I'm with you. Like, I don't think he should be blamed, but imagine if somebody told you like, Hey, Kyrie's going to join the team ever since he joined the team, they're going to completely tank. I mean, they're, they're six and 13 since the all-star break. And we're going to look back and be like, yeah, somehow this is not his fault at all. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I think, I think part of it is he's playing a lot of minutes with the bench and the bench is so bad that he's just, he's just lifting all those guys up. Like his on off court numbers look amazing because they can't do anything when he's not on the floor. Um, but I just, it's it's tough, man. And part of it is just like these guys, you know, when I the, the Heat game really stuck out to me the other day as as a lot of their issues, obviously defensively, but on offense as well. It's like 
or, you know, Kyrie, he, he tries to move around off ball. There's a couple times where he made some cuts. They were kind of half-hearted. There was basically no way to actually get the ball to him. Luca, when he doesn't have the ball, just like stands around. Right. So the, the offense is not dynamic at all. And, um, like it just doesn't work when you have like a your turn, my turn situation, usually in the NBA, even when these guys are are this talented. And the reality is like nobody else on this team is a threat with the ball in their hands. Like as soon as maybe Tim Hardaway Jr. can do something off the dribble here and there. But like as soon as half these guys catch the ball, they just start running towards the nearest teammate for a handoff. And they're, you know, they're just completely predictable. You're totally right about that Miami game. I watched the end of that. And I mean, 80% of the fourth quarter was Kyrie Irving standing in the corner with his hands on his knees, just kind of saying like, all right, this, this is your one. This is your possession. Luca, see what happens. Like, you know, we, when this trade happened, everybody was saying like, well, you know, it's going to be my turn, your turn. That's how it has to work with these two guys. And, And for some, you know, for some like two superstar builds, we've seen that work. This has been an extreme, like it's, it's even more my turn, your turn than I thought it would be. Uh, like neither of these guys have any interest in really doing anything off the ball. I don't think we'd expect anything different from Luca. Like that's, I, I can't even picture him like making a backdoor cut. I don't know if that's right. ever happened, <laughs> but like Ky- we've seen Kyrie play off the ball. Like he's, he's more yeah. than capable of doing that. He can run off screens. He can catch and shoot. Like Luca is that guy that needs to, he needs to kind of like, you know, handle the ball, like rock himself into rhythm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's just, they're taking it to an extreme and, and the offense, like, you know, when it, when it's, when it's working, like they've had games where, you know, they've both been 35 plus points, 40 points. Like it, it looks good when it's working, I guess. But like you said, like even those games, it's not like, like they've had like no convincing wins during the stretch. It's like, they're, they're hanging on for dear life. And in the, even in the games that they're winning and, you know, before Kyrie's 40 point game against Atlanta on Sunday, you know, you look back and you say, yeah, maybe he is part of the problem. Like he's, he's only averaging 20 points per game. He had three games in a row under 20 in their last five, he's shooting 47% from the field in that span. He's just literally not doing as much as normal because Luca has the ball in his hands. Yeah. And I think a lot of their, like, it seems like so many of their wins are just like, well, it's, they pass to their three point shooters and their three point shooters get hot. Right. And they just, you know, Bullock out there happens to have one of his five made three pointer games or, or Tim Hardaway Jr. goes six for six for nine or something like that. Um, it's just nobody, the, the defenses are just not scared of anybody besides Kyrie and Doncic. And in reality, you don't have to worry about both of those guys in any, any given position. You just have to worry about the one that has the ball. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, like I said, though, I, as bad as this team has been, like obviously, they're, I, nobody's looking at them as like a, a dark horse title contender. I no. think that's, that's completely off the table. Still, you know, if I'm the Lakers, if I'm the Pelicans, if I'm the Timberwolves, I would rather OKC get in to the plan. Yeah. I, I still, I don't, I don't want to see Luca, especially uh, in a one game playoff scenario. Like if it, if I'm Minnesota like that, you're just begging OKC, like, please win one of these games. Like we would much rather play you. Uh, OKC, by the way, I, I mentioned this on XM yesterday to you. I one of the worst uh, fantasy beats of my life on Sunday. Thought I was in great shape to win my home league would have been back-to-back titles. Uh, you know, it's a, a nine category Roto league. Had basically everything, you know, it was gonna, it was going to finish five four in favor of me, and I was up like six or seven percentage points in free throws coming into the day, and oh, no. yeah, Jared Allen three for six, Alfred oh. Shangoon, Alfred Shangoon zero for two, uh, a couple other situations that didn't go well, and then happening simultaneously, Paolo Bancaro. I'm watching this game. He goes four for eleven, SGA goes seventeen for seventeen. And I ended up losing by 0.09 percentage points. 
That's crazy. It was horrific. It was, I had both games going at the same time. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm watching Ben Carroll miss two free throws. And then two seconds later, SGA is hitting two. I'm just watching the, watching the score flip in real time. It was uh, borderline traumatic. That's something uh, you don't you don't get in other fantasy sports is the free throw percentage watching. Uh, I know. I was trying to think of what the equivalent is in like fantasy football. Like, would that be would that be like you know uh, you think you're good and then your opponent gets like 25 points from their team defense because they have like three pick sixes? Yeah, or like their tight end has like 18 catches randomly. Like they're just like you know backup yeah. quarterback just leaning on the tight end the last game of the season. Uh, yeah, it was it was just a, a really fitting end to what's been a, a rough fantasy season for me all along as, as somebody who went all in on like LaMelo Ball, Damian Lillard, Scotty Barnes. Um, anyway, you're, you're, you're making a nice little charge in Stake League. You know, I'm trying. Um, my team is, uh, man, been some of the names on this team. I mean, Shagan Sharp is, is pulling through for me. Chris Dunn, Austin Reeves. Um, you know, I, I can't, I couldn't necessarily lean on, on Zach Collins the way I wanted. I picked up Theo Maladon, but I just, I don't need assists. <laughs> what, what are you saying? <laughs> I just couldn't, le- I couldn't lean on Zach Collins. God, Theo Maladon's yeah. killing me. Well, okay. Here's the thing. I didn't, I didn't need assists. I just picked up Maladon in case, you know, I yeah. put in like eight, I only had $1 of fab. So it's like, well, I'm just going to put in eight bids for random guys. Sure. I don't need, I don't need the dimes. Um, but yeah, I think my best player right now is gotta be Shaden Sharp. Is clearly Ugh. my best player. Maybe Draymond, close sure. second. It's bad. It's bad out there. But I'm an eighth. I'm an eighth of sixteen, and that's what matters. I, I think you're going to be in good shape to hold on. Um, you know, but that that is life in in season long fantasy basketball at this point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, let's talk about Shaded Sharp, by the way. So eight starts now since they officially shut down Damian Lillard and pivoted to the Shaded Sharp offense. 24 points, 6.3 rebounds, four assists, 46% from the field, 40% from three on eight threes per game. I, I've gone back and watched all of the you know, the Shaded Sharp clips from these games on YouTube. Sure. Like He looks like a completely different player. Like earlier in the season when he was just coming in and giving them like 17 minutes a night off the bench, he was more of like this energy guy. Uh, you know, he's like put back dunks, things like that. He was very passive, yeah. kind of happy to be a role player. Uh, like he he looks like a legit like playmaker now. I mean, he's coming off screens. He's running pick and roll. Uh, yeah, obviously, he's the go-to guy on a team that has no other options and they're, they're getting killed every night. So you got to take that into consideration. But like, I, I don't, I, I think this is, pretty legit. Like, I, I'm not saying he's going to come in and just be a, you know, 25 and seven guy next year. Uh, but I, I also don't think this is just a guy going out there and chucking up shots. Like he's, he's looking really impressive. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, you, you're a little more locked into like the draft and prospects than I am. I, this has to be kind of what the, the hope was like later in his career. Right. I know he slipped a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's such a unique case. Uh, you know, he reclassified, he, you know, arguably would have been like the number one recruit if he had just stayed in his class, never even played at Kentucky. But that was one thing I was thinking watching these highlights. I'm like, dude, where, like, imagine if we had got to see this at Kentucky. I mean, he, I think in general, he was considered more raw than this. Like, I I think this is kind of what you expected to see like at the end of year two. Uh, So the fact that he's already doing this and, and getting the opportunity to do it as a rookie is super encouraging. I mean, he's like one of the five youngest players in the league. He was born in May, 2003. So what, what does that make him like? I don't even know. 19. Yeah, he's not even 20 yet. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's looked awesome. But he combined that with the athleticism because that was that was part of the concern too. It's like, I, I literally didn't even know what his game was. Like, you could go back and watch high school highlights, but like yeah, everybody yeah. looks like a stud in high school. And you know, it's hard to get a real gauge for like, okay, what kind of player are you? Because we didn't see him in the G League. We didn't see him in college. And like, I, I was kind of worried that he would just be like a Gerald Green type who's just like a super athlete and kind of relies yeah. on that. But I mean, now, I mean, it's like, he has the skill and then also has a plus plus athleticism on top of that. Well, when he's really under control with his athleticism, he's not just kind of like completely launching himself and just like yeah. trying to draw fouls on purpose. That's huge. And I, I do think it helps when a team has like an established offense that he can sort of walk into. It's not, it's not exactly how it goes, but you can just kind of go out there and be like, okay, just pr- like be Damian Lillard within this offense. And I think s- that that's a lot easier than some guys in these tanking teams, like the Rockets or the Pistons, where there's just like no coherent game plan. There's got there's like no floor spacing, no cohesion all year. I think this is a good situation for Sharp to step into in an established offense. And um, yeah, this is really promising for next year. I mean, at this rate, he should be like a like a super sixth man for them for him. Yeah. Uh, or excuse me for for the for the Blazers. 
Yeah, I, I think this is close to best case scenario as far as what he's shown over a, a real sample. Um, you know, it's just, you know, and you brought this up on the XM show. It's like, okay, great for great for Portland. They now have a third guard that they have to find right. for alongside Simons and, Blay- and, and Lillard. And it's like, you know, for as, for as good as Shaden Sharp has looked and as promising as his future is, I mean, I, I don't know where he's going to be in five years. I think that the sky's the limit. Does it matter, right? Like, does it, is he doing enough next year that really changes the calculus for where you are with Damian Lillard? I, probably not. I don't think so. I mean, I think I, I part of the issue is that their bench is really bad. So he he partially solves that problem. But you also want more guys that I think are options with Lillard and Simons. And I guess in theory, two of those three guys are going to be on the court all the time. I think the the thing that he has in his advantage is he's a good defender. Um, at least he has the athleticism. He'll chase down blocks and he's just like blocking people's jump shots and passing lanes and all that. So that's that's good. I think ultimately what Portland needs is just they just need better bench players. Like their bench is horrible. Yeah, they they need to upgrade or, or find some sort of solution at center. I mean, I, I I love Nurkic. I fall into the trap every year in fantasy, but I I just I don't know if he's that guy. Um, I, I like Jeremy Grant a lot. He definitely can't be your second best player. I think you're setting yourself up for <laughs> right. a pretty rough season. You're setting yourself up for exactly what happened to the Blazers this year, uh, if that's the case. Um, all right, I, I want to touch on the MVP real quick, and then we'll we'll hit a piece that you put up on the site this week, and we'll get out of here. Did Embiid lock it up last night? Because watching that game live, it, it certainly felt like it, and then you know, logging on this morning and checking the odds uh, kind of confirmed our suspicions there. Uh, I think he did. Um, even though the game wasn't that definitive, uh, partially, I mean, the 76ers barely won this by getting 50 out of Embiid. Tatum had a good look as time expired. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah, it was pretty close. I, I think Embiid did lock it up. I think people have been continuously looking for reasons to not give the third M- uh, MVP to, to Jokic, which I and I don't mean that maliciously, um, because I think I think both those guys and Giannis are I don't want to say equally distur- uh, disturbing, deserving. <laughs> they, their stats are disturbingly good. Um, yes, I am disturbed. I am disturbed by how good all of these guys are. Uh, they're, they're all deserving in their own way. Right. Like I, I wouldn't blame anybody for having young first on their ballot or any of these guys first on their ballot. But I think Embiid is just so visually dominant on both ends of the floor that it's really easy to just say like, this guy's the MVP, like those games where like even Giannis, who obviously Giannis is a great defender. Um, I, I think he might actually be a little overrated, but that's that's kind of beside the point. Oh. His his defense his defensive impact, it, you don't see it as much because he's a help defender. Uh, he doesn't guard the team's best player. Embiid's at the rim, right? So you feel those blocks. You feel guys running up to the rim, seeing him, and just being like, ah, never mind. And then obviously on offense, he can do what he did against the Celtics and just make everybody on the team look like eighth graders. Um, and so I yeah. he probably locked it up. I think Luke Cornett's uh, defensive player of the year case took a major hit last night. Uh, there was there was a blow by at the end of that game too by a B that I, I think it was for a dunk uh, that seemingly ended the game until Philly did everything it could to, to let Boston back in. Um, but no, I mean that was as that was as well as that game could have possibly gone for a beat. Like if he's looking for a punctuation on the MVP case, that was the time to do it. And he put up 52. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be Embiid. My guess, if, if if I think if the vote took place today, and honestly, I'm not sure that much is going to change 
over these next few games. I think if Milwaukee, you know, goes out and beats Chicago tonight, we probably don't see Giannis over the final two games. Uh, I my guess would it would be Embiid like sixty five percent of the vote. I, I think Giannis will finish second with about twenty twenty percent of the vote, and then Jokic with whatever's left. Was that fifteen? So, yeah. Do you think? Do you think it's Jokic's absences after that long stretch of like bad games just killed it for him? One hundred percent. Yes, I, I think. I mean, missing missing three games in a row at that juncture, it, it shouldn't really matter. I mean, the, the Nuggets have not slipped. They're going to be the one seed in the West. Uh, I, I think it's kind of crazy, but the way that we've been debating this award, and you know, people always say it's like, well, it matters what you do in October as much as April. I, I would love for that to be true. It is just totally not true. Like it, it this this the, the way that this has been debated, it has been not only week to week, but literally day to day. So well, he's missing three games in a row, and then he's coming back and, and putting up eight turnovers and a blowout loss to Houston. Yeah, and B just putting up fifty-two in a huge win over Boston. You know, like I, I think I think Jokic is just out of it at this point. I think there are some people that will vote for him no matter what. Those are the same people that probably made that decision mid-season. But let's say thirty percent of the voters were on the fence, were truly fifty-fifty two weeks ago. Like those people, how could you not be leaning Embiid right now? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I think. I mean, it was just the the game last night was just such a obviously he scored fifty points, but such a such a demonstration of how dominant Embiid can be. And it's funny because he's actually coming off a game against Milwaukee that him, both him and Hargan didn't look that good, which I feel like has oh. kind of gotten swept under the rug a little bit. But uh, he's just that fourteen foot jumper he has is like I don't think I've ever seen him miss. Um, if you play up on it too much, he just blows by you. He's got good post moves. Um, he, he does feel like someone that like, I'm a Bucks fan. I'm way more scared of Embiid than I am of Jokic. Mm-hmm. If I had to, you know, compared to like, who am I playing, uh, in a seven game playoff series? That's, that's what I'll say on it. At least. Is there a player like historically who even profiles similarly to, to Embiid? And you could say the same thing about Giannis and Jokic to be fair, but like watching him, I'm just like, I don't, we, we say this about uh, you know Giannis. I, I feel like most uh, of all the elite players, like we've never seen this before. I feel like that's also true with Embiid. Like there have been there have been guys with that body, I guess. You know, like Shaq uh, to some degree, like Patrick Ewing. Maybe that's the closest comp. But those guys yeah. were not hitting fadeaways consistently from 16 feet. They weren't blowing by guys off the dribble. They weren't you know operating at the top of the key. Like I mean, this isn't news to anybody. But I, I just I don't think there's any comparison for what we're seeing from him. No, I think he's a he's a I think he's a really nice mix of a lot of those like historically great centers. I think maybe playing style wise and beat is close, just like the, the jumpers, the, the bully ball, like, you know, Embiid has, he has nice moves, but he's not a Lajuan. He's also not the physical force that Shaq was. Right. Um, but he, I mean, he's probably, he's gotta be what, like 30 pounds heavier than a Lajuan. Well, that, yes, that's what I mean. And the, actually the thing is, you know, you think about when Shaq played, there were a lot more guys closer to his size. Like, relatively speaking, I think is yeah. Embiid is as physically dominant at center as Shaq was in his era um, because the game is so much smaller now. Um, but obviously Shaq never had the jumper. The free throw percentage for Embiid is huge. Like, yeah, Shaq got to the line as much as, as Embiid did, but he wasn't making 85% of his free throws. So right. his game is just such a crazy mix of, of all these guys. And that 14 foot jumper is like, that's a game changer for him. And it feels like he just added it over the past like year and a half. Like, yeah, this, I mean, he's consistently he's, right, right. He's always been comfortable taking it, but I mean, that has become such a weapon. Like you said, I feel like you never 
never misses that. And you're like, he never even hits rim. It's just like automatic. Yeah. Uh, look, it still doesn't even look that great. Like, I think part of it is he's so huge. That, like his hands are so huge that like the ball, like it looks like he's shooting one of those like little like Papa shot balls almost. Yeah. But yeah, so it's hard to get that same touch. You know, the other guy who comes to mind for me is, is David Robinson in some sure. ways. And you know, I, I, th- I think they maybe have a more similar game, but, but David Robinson was listed at 235 and B's listed at oh, 280. Yeah. Like that, that's the thing. It's like he, he's closer, he's closer in body style to Shaq, but he's closer in style of game to someone who weighs almost 50 pounds less. Yeah. He's like, he's like end of Orlando start of LA kind of Shaq body type wise. I mean, yeah. David Robinson was just like, Robinson was cut. Like he was just right. ripped. Um, obviously a big guy still, but he, he wasn't bulky like Embiid. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That, that was a complete tangent, but I just had to get that off my <laughs> chest. Right. Uh, last thing here, you, uh, you put up a, an article on our site that, that also went to, was this Yahoo or, or CBS? This was Yahoo. Also went on Yahoo. Uh, just titled NBA fantasy lessons learned. Where did we go wrong this season? So Alex, uh, I, I could tell you where I went wrong, but I'm more interested to hear, <laughs> uh, where did you or the, the collective fantasy basketball public go wrong? Yeah, this is this is more so about the general fantasy community, kind of like what we messed up, what we continue to mess up in terms of ADP. And a lot of these lessons weren't necessarily like this year specific, but I tried to use examples from this year to really uh, amplify my points. Um, you know, I, I, I make four points in here. The first one being, I mean, this happens all the time. We overvalue certain stars. This happens in all fantasy sports, football, baseball. Um, and you have to leave with the caveat that, like, it depends what league style you're in. If you're in a head-to-head league where you're trying to win five of the nine categories, it's just some guys, they're, the, the parts of the game where they struggle, they just don't matter as much. And the parts of the game where they thrive, they're better. So the overvaluing of certain stars, that's more of a roto league. And I think both you and I play mostly in roto leagues, or at least our higher stakes ones that we're playing with other guys from from Rotowire, our Roto Leagues. Um, but my point here is just, like, if you're in a Roto League, you just can't be drafting guys, even if they're stars, who have these huge uh, holes in their game, like Giannis. Giannis, 65% from the free throw line, takes 12 a game. He's ranked 103rd in per-game fantasy value. Even if you're thinking, like, okay, I'm in a Roto League. I want to build a balanced team. I'm, I'm going to punt free throws. I'll punt one category. Not a big deal. The problem is you may as well just straight up not draft anybody with a good free throw percentage because that's going to waste if you draft anybody with a good free throw percentage. So what ends up happening is if you're drafting a bunch of bad free throw shooters, they're probably bigs who are also uh, not passing the ball. They're not hitting threes. And then suddenly you're punting like three categories. So it kind of sets you up in a spot. And Morant and Zion are also guys who kind of have these holes that drag them down the roto ranks. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing I messed up in in one of my leagues. And it is another roto league. I think this one's eight cat. Is the the false uh, belief that by drafting someone who's elite in one category early that you're just good in that one. Yeah. Uh, so th- this is a this is a league where I drafted James Harden and I'm somehow second to last in assists right. because I just thought like oh I, I got assists James Harden that'll be great and you know Harden's played a decent amount of games especially in a year where there are a lot of guys have missed time but. It's like, you know, if he misses a couple weeks here or there, like, I mean, you're, you're losing big time assist production. Um, so like my, my next few picks or my next like best performing players in that league were you know, like Desmond Bain, uh, Jalen Brown, Jaron Jackson, Bam Adebayo. 
Uh, Fred Van Vliet, who is also like way up there in terms of assists, like it makes no sense that I, I'm, I'm this low. Um, but it, it was that that false belief that I, I just didn't even need to think about assists because I had James Harden, and you know, I ended up just building this team that was like very average across the board. I'm like I'm like fifth in every category other than assists, um, because I, I kind of botched that that build there. So I think not, you know, not leaning into the advantage that you have early on can can really kill you. Yeah, and assists specifically are like one of the toughest things to find on the waiver wire yes. um, because all the good assist players are high minutes guys and they're getting drafted. So I would, you know, another thing I could have written in here easily was just like get get your assists out of the way right away because there's always some backup center on the waiver wire playing four games that you can just grab if you need boards or blocks. Just happens all around the NBA. Um, my second lesson, which is sort of tied into the first one, is Every single season, people undervalue the non-glamour stats. This is more of a nine-cat thing. Um, but if you look at a lot of these guys, if you look through the fantasy ranks, just literally where do guys finish, and you're like, wow, I'm surprised that guy finished that high. It's usually because either their steals, blocks, free throw percentage, or turnovers were really good. And I listed the top 12 players. If you just played in a league that was defensive stats, turnovers, and free throw percentage, and all of the 12 guys listed finished above their ADP this season in terms of final rank. So um, do not do not ignore those stats. Like those matter a lot. And if you draft and you're and you're debating between two or three players, don't be afraid just to take the guy who's like consistently a really good free throw shooter or just does not turn the ball over or is averaging 1.6 deals per game because yep. People don't chase those things in the waiver wire. They're not easy to find, and they're just generally undervalued. That that is extremely true. This is such a good point, and I, I think I think free throw percentage and turnovers are the big two. I, I think with turnovers, yeah. you just don't think about it. It's like it's so easy when you're whether you're going through a draft and you're looking at projections, or you're looking at last year's stats, or you're combing through the waiver wire. You're you're just like, oh, this he had 19 points, five rebounds, five assists. Great, I need that. Uh, and you're like, well, how many turnovers did he have? Did he have any steals over the last five games? Like, you're you're completely right. It's really easy to get lost in the the quote unquote glamour stats. Uh, so I, I think that is a great point. How many people, by the way, are aware that DeAnthony Melton is leading the league in total steals? I mean, he's. He, I think he's yeah. maybe the most single most underrated effective fantasy player this season. Uh, you know, shout out to Delon Wright who who made his own little run for a while. Yep. Uh, you know, he's he's actually Delon Wright is a top sixty player. Uh, in per game value this season, solely because of steals, he just missed a bunch of time early on. Um, but De'Anthony Melton is is a top seventy guy. I mean that that is wild. Yeah, in in this in the in the league setting, that's just defense turnovers and free throw percentage. He finished seventh in total value this season. Crazy. So, um, yeah, that's that's that point. And sort of along the same lines, like you got to realize when a guy is empty calories. That's kind of my next lesson. I highlighted four guys here. Um, Keldon Johnson, Kyle Kuzma, Jordan Poole, and Jordan Clarkson. All these guys average over 20 points per game. Keldon Johnson ranks 164. Kuzma ranks 99. Poole ranks 141. And Clarkson ranks 182. And that's per game value um, for Roto Leagues. Like, these guys, they're not getting you defensive numbers. And they're not good percentage shooters. Like, these guys are at the bottom of the true shooting percentage. Um leaderboard for guys averaging over 20 points per game. And I think this point uh, at the end that I make here, like the NBA, the pace and the offense has gotten so crazy in the NBA. 
when you look at a guy like Keldon Johnson, and you're like, oh, five rebounds and three assists. Like, that's pretty solid. That may as well be zero. Like, that may as well yep. be zero po- rebounds and zero assists because everybody in the NBA averages three assists a game now. Like, I, I, I ran some numbers. So this season, 84 players averaged at least five rebounds. 85 averaged at least five assists. Excuse me, three assists. Ten years ago, that number is basically 20, 20 players lower. 68 players grab five boards, 60 hand out three assists. So when Keldon Johnson averages 22, five and three on like decent shooting, 45%, that's just, that's just not that good. Like he's just barely valuable in, in roto leagues. Yeah, that's extremely good information. Extremely good research on that. Um, I, I think the other thing too, and I, I definitely fall into this trap um, of, of kind of trying to justify, like, I mean, I had, I had Jordan Clarkson on my stake team all year and, the points are nice. Like you, it, it is, it's yeah. probably the number one glamor stat and it, it is important. Like there, I think it's, it's kind of like the inverse of, of Giannis, like ranking 110th or whatever, um, right. you know, because he, he, you know, he kills you so much in free throw percentage. Like we're not saying don't draft Jordan Clarkson uh, because he ranks close to, to 200. Um, if you need points, you need points. And that makes sense. But I think it's also easy to say like, well, I'm, I'm getting threes out of it too. Like Jordan Clarkson is not even in the top 35 in the NBA in threes per game at two and a half. Um, and, and, you know, there's a bunch of guys that are kind of tied at that. Like you could say he's outside of the top 40 Kelton Johnson. You're like, Oh, 2.1 threes per game. Like from a forward, that's pretty good. That's like 60th in the NBA right. this season. So kind of the same thing that you're saying, we're like the, making two and a half threes per game five, 10 years ago, that was great. Uh, but when, when like the truly elite three point shooters are hitting three and a half to four and a half per game, it, it completely devalues it. Plus, I mean, points and threes are the easiest thing to find on the waiver wire. Yeah. Have, like, there are so many teams that just have some guy coming in for 23 minutes a game on a four game week that will get you, you know, like a 12 total threes. Um, so I, I just think it makes more sense to tell you, uh, target some of those uh, tougher to find stats when you're drafting. Then the final thing is team context. This one's tough. This one's relative. This is why I put it at the end. Um, I think we, we view a lot of players in a vacuum like, oh, this guy's at second or his third year in the league. Like he has to get better. Stats are going to go up. Um, that happens a lot. Like Scotty Barnes and Franz Wagner fall into this category. There just wasn't going to be that much usage available for Scotty Barnes because everybody like OG Anganobi's still there and Siakam's still there and Van Vliet's still there. And like he had to become a better shooter and he just didn't. And it's just an underwhelming season. And, you know, Franz Wagner had Paolo Bancaro coming in. So I think there just wasn't as, as high of a ceiling for a lot of these guys as, as people thought. So I think they got overdrafted and, there are some guys who get ignored too. Like, I don't know how we as a fantasy community just like let Nick Claxton fall to pick like 100 in all these drafts. He's the only, he was the only center on the nets. And I think people were worried that he would clash with Ben Simmons, but like pick one. He's got to be the, worth the risk before pick 100. You know what I mean? With the upside and yeah. same thing happened with Walker Kessler. Like we really should have just like taken more chances on, on guys like that. The Claxton point is well taken. I, I think, you know, in, in like fantasy football, for example, it's it's so cut and dry. You know, you look and say like, well, you know, this guy's the number two receiver in the offense, so yep. I, I'm going to take him at the end of a draft. Or this guy, like, I, I don't love him, but he is the starting tight end, and I, I need a tight end. Like in basketball, it's a little tougher because, like you said, we, like maybe Ben Simmons was going to start at center. Who knows? Like maybe they could make a trade. Like there's there's kind of different ways to to set your lineup uh, where you're not always guaranteed just because you're a center and and you're seemingly the number one guy. Um, it, it could be tougher to project, but. Yeah, I mean that was Nick Claxton was basically free for anybody who yes. wanted him, and in nine category leagues, he is the 26th ranked player this season, and he's on pace to play in like 77 games. 
I mean, that is, if you got them, you, you're probably doing pretty well. If you, especially if you're, if you're in a, a setup like stake league where you just got to finish in the top half, like that's just such a huge advantage. I mean, it, it basically allows you, you, you even have the flexibility to like whiff on one of your, your early picks. If you're getting that much value out of somebody, you took 108th. Right. And a lot of this is, is kind of ceiling versus floor evaluations, but this is the part where, you know, it's, it's really important to just like look through the depth charts of all these teams and sort of like game out the minutes yourself to an extent, like, you know, there's going to be people like, like maybe the collective fantasy community, you know, you look on however many different sites and you see Nick Claxton projected for 23 minutes a game. Maybe you look at the roster and you're like, you know what? I, I, what if it's closer to 28? Like that feels realistic to me. Again, you're near pick 90 or a hundred or 110. It's like, if you, if you think that there's a hole in a roster that someone could just fill that's being underdrafted, like just take that chance. And um, like marketing and Sexton also yep. like kind of the inverse. Cause people thought Sexton might be the number one guy, but it's like, okay, worst case scenario, marketing is the number two guy. We've seen him be the number two guy before, like in Chicago those years ago, averaging like 20 and 10. Um, I feel like he kind of went underdrafted as well because people weren't really thinking about what him as a number two option has actually looked like in the past. Yeah. I, I think there's a distinction too of like finding that sweet spot. And there's there's only a handful of teams that this this you know applies to, but like the Nets are the perfect team to to say, well, they don't really have a starting center. Uh, because they, especially at the beginning of the year, we thought they were going to be good. So, like, there's right. there's a big difference between that. There's a big difference between that and being like, yeah, I like Isaiah Stewart this year because he's going to see minutes for the Pistons. It's like the Pistons could change their rotation in a heartbeat at any time. Like, that's not as dependable as saying like this guy's locked into 30 minutes on a team that wants to win and is motivated to play him all season. Um, and again, I know there's a lot of projecting work going there, but I think like. Trey Murphy is another good example of that. It's like we, we I, I was much lower on Trey Murphy. He's a top 55 guy right now yep. in nine category leagues. And of course, Zion Williamson getting hurt is part of that. But everybody, you know, what was the only thing we talked about with Zion was, hey, he's probably going to get hurt at some point. So I, I think that was that was kind of a, a another whiff by me where it's like, all right, all right, if I think Zion's going to get hurt, I need to be prepared for who's going to start playing 30 minutes for a team that that's trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, and some of, some of that's more applicable to deeper leagues, right? Like I don't know if people in standard leagues could have like sniped Trey Murphy or we're going to, but if you're in a 16 team or an 18 team league, or you're in a best ball league, especially where the rosters are super deep, that's the kind of stuff you need to think about. And I, I mean, I, there's more lessons I could have written about, but we talked about this earlier in the year, targeting yeah. teams with like really tight rotations, like bad benches, Toronto, uh, even Portland Ooh. earlier in the year. It's like, there's going to be a yeah. lot of situations where these guys are playing 38 minutes a night. You can target these teams, Chicago. Like we know exactly how that's going to go down. Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, um, yep. there's a lot of safe guys you can target early in drafts who are going to play huge minutes and that, that gets really undervalued, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, you did a great job with that piece. Again, it is NBA fantasy lessons learned. Where do we go wrong this season? You can find that over at Rotowire. You can find it at Yahoo as well. Uh, Alex, we got to get out of here. We got games tipping off in, in a, about an hour and a half here. Uh, we will also be over on Sirius XM NBA. Uh, we, we have a new show. Uh, at Sirius XM NBA channel 86, I believe. Yep. Yes, that is channel 86. Uh, that will air Monday through Friday, every night that there is at least one NBA game from now until the end of the NBA finals. We will be talking betting. We'll be talking some fantasy, some DFS. That will be 7 to 7.30 Eastern on Sirius XM NBA radio channel 86. So please, if you enjoyed this pod, if you enjoy our content at Rotowire, make sure you're checking that out. Uh, we hope to catch you there.